Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. You know, maybe this is the sole reason why we need to get on video here because I was just rocking out to that song. My God, that just traps me. Maybe it's because I'm coming off of a concert last night that I'll uh, briefly get into. But uh, you are here with the Metzian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. Thank you all for joining us, all you Metzian folk out there. Um, with, with you know, Without further ado, we're going to get right into it. Uh, uh, spring training is here. Players are showing up left and right. And uh, it's, it's an exciting time, uh, but, but before I go deep into Metzian talk, I'm going to throw it over to Mike Lechelant. Uh Mike, welcome to a, a Metzian podcast of, uh, for the week, and uh, you've been singing the praises of the XFL. Well, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it, you know, to put it very simply. Uh, ever since the USFL, you know, I've been waiting for the next spring league to arise and, and take hold and this may be it you know other leagues have come up and failed uh but you knew you were looking at trash this time around there's this quality on the field and their uh competitive games and you know they're keeping interest and uh they seem to be or they seem to have gotten it right this time versus uh their first launch so uh let's see what happens it's only week two they need to sustain you know and uh, our other member of uh, Messian Podcast, Mr. Rich Farrago, uh, you, you have not really uh, – you kind of shut the football part of your brain off after the Super Bowl, huh? I have. And, um, and again, I, I know the XFL is trying something different, and that is, you know, just to have former NFL players, you know, and, just, and like we were talking about before we went on air, just, just have a very uh, game that looks a lot like the NFL, which I think is right. You know, some of those gimmicky things didn't work. You know, arena football is a bit silly to me, but, um, but you know, for some reason, I just can't. The Super Bowl, to me, maybe it's, you know, old dog, new trick thing. The Super Bowl, to me, is always closure for the NFL, and really the minute the last gun sounds, I'm in baseball mode. So, uh, but that's me. I mean, you know, some people um, may, may want more football, and that's great. But, uh, but to me, closure comes with the Super Bowl. Mike, it seems as if, as time went on, um, you know, baseball, which of course had always been pretty soon thereafter the Super Bowl, it's gotten closer and closer, I feel. And, and, and yet, you know, spring, you know, they've, they've been appearing uh, uh, more and more uh, closer to the Super Bowl, but at the same time, uh, the season's going into November. It's, it's crazy. Well, <laughs> true. I mean, both seasons have gotten extended. You know, NFL has definitely 
bled over the years into lot lot of parts of January and now in February. Uh, and you're right, uh, baseball playoffs. Uh, I mean, once got pushed into November by no fault of their own, but you know they tried to uh, have their cake and eat it too, and we're, we're taking the season right up until the final day days of October, if not the final day. So, uh, you know, that's another discussion on what these leagues can do to uh, perhaps contract their activities a little bit. Rich, I know that Major League Baseball is not about contracting money, but I, I think at the same time, when you look at how you you know you can figure this whole thing out um, from an extended season perspective, um, I think uh, you know I, I wouldn't hate it if you started a 162 game season with one less week of spring training. By it seems like everybody, including the baseball players, by that last week are kind of like, all right, let's, let's, let's get this going now. Let's, let's, let's rev it up. You know, we've been here since basically the second week of February. Um, or, and I, I just think this is going to be the, the, you know, you'd rather from an economical level get rid of the spring games as opposed to make it 154 game schedule again. And with so much talk about change in baseball, I wonder what they're thinking about when it comes to scheduling. Yeah, you know, I'd I'd be all for a 154-game schedule because – and what I would do at that time, I would try to lop a week off of spring training, so maybe you you save some games there and then, you know, try to end it. You make it so it never spills into November, that by Halloween it's over. But what you can do with those days, you know, you have um, eight more days, right? You you could give teams an extra off. I know they're doing that now, and you could see it a little bit. But I think it make it a bit more pronounced. Give these teams a bit more, a few more off days. Because let let's face it, you know Gary Cohen talks every year about oh, you know every team if they're traveling should have a day game. Like the last game of the series, if it's a you know Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday should always be a day game so they could travel. You know what? That's logical, but that's never going to happen. It's never going to happen because attendance generally isn't as good for a day game, and TV ratings certainly are not as good. So. What you could do then, instead of forcing those day games, is just give teams more days off. You know, so maybe you have a um, – you figure it out. Maybe it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday series, and Thursday's an off day if you're traveling. You know, not certainly at every time, but you try to weave that in, and you have that flexibility to do it if you go to a 154-game schedule. But we all know that's not going to happen because they want those 81 home games. I mean, baseball wants those games because they need the gate. And um, there are a lot of things we could talk about. I'm sure we're going to get into it. We could talk about the wacky revised playoff format idea. That's a, certainly wacky. But also going to 26-man rosters, you know, they have to pay these guys. And they're not about to start having less money at the gate. So I think we're kind of stuck with what we have. So, Mike, do you think that Major League Baseball would uh, entertain the idea that if, if, you know, they've taken the – general poll, if you will, whether it's Twitter or otherwise, however they collect their information. And it doesn't seem like they're doing a good job collecting information, but we, you know, but that's broad stroke there. Um, do you think that, let's say we were like, as a, a, a fan of baseball, we collectively said, 154 game schedule works for us. We will pay you three to four extra dollars or whatever you want. Five bucks is probably extra $5 per game. For every single ticket, we would understand where you're coming from. 
uh, and wherever else you want to make up that money. Um, you know, for a better product that doesn't seem too drawn out, and you're talking about trying to keep people's attention, one of the things that people always talk about, casual fans, is that the season is too long. They can't pay attention to it from April to October. Uh, and, you know, for, for us, we're paying attention to it right now. Um, we're basically paying attention to it all year long. But from a baseball perspective, we especially tune in once players start showing up in the, uh, the sun before it rains of Florida. So, uh, you know, do, would you be willing to go for that? You, you know, if, if you as your – the way you go to baseball games, Mike, would you be willing to pay a little bit extra for a little bit more, and I would say, entertainment? You certainly are, are headed down the right venue. Uh, the owners need to be incentivized in order to, you know, relinquish games on their regular season schedule. Uh, they're going to have to recoup that money somehow. They're just not going to give it up willingly. Now, whether that comes out of our pockets, the network's pockets, somebody's pockets, uh, they're going to have to be compensated because you brought it up just before about the minor leagues and what they're trying to attempt down there. You know, let's not forget everything that they're attempting to do is for the sake of either saving or generating a dollar. Uh, there's no loss there that they're, you know, might may or may not be incurring. Uh, same thing with reducing the schedule to, say, 154 games. They're not just going to willingly do it. They're going to want to recoup that money somewhere else or some uh, in, in some other manner. Now, whether... Uh, there's more opportunities via technology for them to take advantage of down the road. Who knows? Uh, but streaming might certainly step in and, and you know, give them incentives to really relinquish some games on the schedule. Uh, Madman Manfred with this playoffs uh, proposal, you know, uh, how <laughs> the hell would that. He, that, by the way. You know, how it's, the hell would gotta, he fit gotta, that in? Steal, steal that endorsement, like, that is an endorsement of that right now. Mad you man. Know, ultimately, man. Oh. <laughs> ultimately, something needs to give. Uh, whether they schedule more double headers, you know, and and somehow meet uh, the fan base halfway, uh, but it, it has to be it has to be uh, you know a, a partnership between fan and ownership and and. And, and the schedule, uh, you know, uh, race prices by a percentage point or fractions of percentage point. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, that that's a tough call when you're paying $17 for a hot dog. I know that's a, an exaggeration, but I, I think the point is well taken. So, you know, there's going to have to be a compromise. That's a lobster hot dog. Yeah, but there's going to have to be a compromise on all sides. I don't think baseball ownership, uh, can just sit coldly by and say, well, no, we're not going to lose money, period. No questions asked without any other outlet to recoup. Rich, uh, have you had the lobster roll, which is basically what uh, um, Mike was just, just describing? <laughs> I have not. You know, I'm not a lobster guy, but, um, but you know, the food, <laughs> I, I, I think <laughs> – that that would be the um, the biggest pushback, right? You know, they're they're going to need to recoup that money, right? They have 154 games, conceptually makes sense, uh, but where do you get the money? Well, do you put a premium on tickets? Well, 
Maybe, but what about the pirates? You know, what about the pirates and the royals? They don't draw as it is. You're going to charge you for more money? What do you think is going to happen? You're rebuilding. You're charging more money. And, um, you know, so I, I don't know that that necessarily is a strategy. Um, it's going to be hard. It would be hard to make up, you know, those additional. So that's four more home games, right, that, that each team would lose. And they'd have to get it back somehow. You know, Mets. Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs could raise ticket prices, and I don't think we'd all feel it if it was 5% more or whatever it is. We'd probably just do it anyway, like the um, the trained lambs that we are. But in areas that are where it's more price elastic, you know, where it's more sensitive, I don't know. Is it going to work for them? Probably not. You know, it's, it's probably going to probably have an overall net negative effect. If fewer people at the games, that would have been there anyway So on the schedule. So, um it would be hard to find a, a, a magic bullet that would work. Yeah, what is the silver bullet with this entire thing? Obviously, we, we've started out with some broad strokes on a Metsian podcast, but, uh, you know, a, a, and, and it's interesting because, you know, obviously whatever happens with baseball affects the Mets, of course. Um, but the Mets have kind of, you know, consistently been in the the – national public conversation and it hasn't always been specifically for the uh what's on the baseball field this offseason mike and um you know here we are with uh things underway um i i was happy and we'll, let's start with something light why don't we start with something light i was happy to see that entire like noah Syndergaard pranking everybody by stealing their t-shirts uh, uh, which I think was both, as you uh, talked about before on our uh, our game notes, if you will, uh, talking about the the kind of an ode or or you know making fun of the uh, the Astros and the the whole everybody's talking about do you take your uniform off or do you not take your uniform off depending on whether you have a buzzer under there, um, but also Noah Syndergaard pitched earlier in the spring, uh, recent spring, without a shirt on. So I, I think, uh, you know, it's always nice, when, you know, from, from when looking back on the uh, the past Mets spring trainings, I always think about kind of uh, uh, Tim Burdak first comes to mind with his Hulk, uh, uh, or uh, uh, obviously Tim Burdak uh, also had the little Jerry Seinfeld, but that was not spring. But, you know, you need some goofing around. You, it needs to be light. You know, you're you're getting underway. You're, you're getting warm and and obviously that can be said for the entire season. That can be said for all of life. You need that that laugh because things are going to get serious. Without a doubt. Uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for levity. You know, uh, that's cool with me. Uh, like you say, it's needed. Uh, you know, who's trolling who? Was Syndergaard trolling the Astros or were Noah's teammates trolling him? You know, that, those are the questions. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, I like to see them have a good time. But when it's time for business, you know, put on your serious face and get down to it. But for now, this is what spring training is traditionally about. Rich, what's your favorite part when, when all these images start coming out? What, what What is your favorite part of all of this? I think I think it's the insights, like, like the whole thing with um... – with Noah's tweet the other day, I don't have it in front of me, but it's something to the effect of, um, you know, shirts or something shirtless and buzzers optional, you know. So you get – it's getting an inside peek at their senses of humor, you know, what they are, like how they goof on each other. 
Um, and and that's my favorite part, you know, like seeing them. Uh, so you know, they're, they're doing the whole spoofing thing with the shirt thing, and then Alonzo, you know, threw a, a playful jab at Cindergard, you know, and watching that whole thing, because that's the stuff that you know that we don't know anything about. You know, we don't know who gets along with whom, who busts on whom, you know, that kind of thing. And getting a little bit of an insight into that is kind of cool. You know, I don't know if you guys watched Hot Stove this week, but um, there was a clip of DeGrom, and, and, and he's, you know, walking in the outfield with a big smile on his face. He's got a big Starbucks iced coffee in his hand. And I got a kick out of that. I got a kick out of knowing that, that Jacob DeGrom, he's a nice coffee guy, for, you know, because we always, at least I do, ask people, you know, your hot coffee or iced coffee, and, you know, you got a little insight into how DeGrom takes it. So it's those little things that we see that let us in on, um, you know, not uh, who's hitting well and who's throwing hard and stuff like that. It's those little insights about the dyads and the triads that happen and who busts on, on whom kind of a thing and, and getting to know them a little more as people. That's what's nice about Twitter in some fashion. Obviously, there's a lot of wrong things about Twitter, but um, – it is really, really cool how, you know, these, these guys can goof around and, and we kind of ignore the trolls, uh, try not to be one as often as possible. Obviously, obviously we all have our shortcomings. <laughs> we all have our trollish moments, if you will. Um, yeah, you know, my, my favorite part about the entire thing is, is the sun. You know, usually, obviously, the, the – Rain doesn't really come in Florida until the afternoon, which is exactly when everybody's trying to go to uh, – what's the place down there? Duffy's, Mike? Is that right? Duffy's. Duffy's, right. Yeah. And, and yes. that's, that's the spot that uh, everybody has gone, uh, has gone to. Mike, have you ever been to spring training down in Port St. Louis? Never. Never once. Never. Boy, I'm hearing a, a, a Metsian outing coming up in 2021, <laughs> but we'll have to talk about that later. Rich, uh, I believe uh, to the contrary for you? Yeah, I've been several times. I, if it were up to me, I'd go every year. Um, because to me, it's kind of like, you know, you, you haven't had you haven't been at a baseball game in six months, right? It's cold. You know, this winter's not all that cold, but, you know, but it, you're ready to go down there. You get this shock of 80 degrees and sunny. You're sitting in a ballpark watching a game. Yeah, and after about the third inning, it, it could be a bit boring, you know, if, you, if I want to use that word, because it doesn't count the same level of, you know, angst and all that isn't there. But you're immersed in baseball, which you haven't done in six months. And then the other part of it that I always found to be kind of interesting is you come home and you come home back to that coldish kind of air and all of that, but then you know that the real thing is what two three weeks away, and um, and it just it revs it revs me up. I'll speak personally. The years I go to spring training, I come back and I, I'm always excited for baseball season, but I'm like chomping at the bit when I come back because you've had a little taste. That's great. It's kind of like what the Mets are doing with their clubhouse. If you saw this in. Um, it, at Port St. Lucie, they they really redid it, you know, and it's supposed to be state of the art and all that. But they're not going to let the St. Lucie Mets use it during the season. They're going to let them go in the during the when camp is open. They can use all the facilities, but they're not going to let the St. Lucie Mets during their season use it because they want them to have that taste, you know, during spring training. Hey, this is what you're this is what you're aspiring to. You're not entitled to this at Single A. 
You saw it. You used that equipment. Wasn't that nice? Work hard, buddy, and you can get there. That's kind of my perspective. You know, you get that little taste when you go down there in early, mid-March, whatever. You come back, and you're just flying for the season. So I, I love it, actually. All right, so that's a great uh, place to go uh, before we get into some of the, the uh, personnel. Um, but there was a little bit of a, a you know outrage culture moment with uh, that clubhouse, Mike, because people, you know, there, there's a lot of controversy with the way minor leaguers are treated and get paid. So, what's your opinion? I I I, I think Rich's angle is uh, sound, and I I kind of I'm kind of unsure exactly where I fall on on it, but I you understand where they're coming from with that entire case? What's your perspective? I'm a little bit on the fence, to be truthful with you. Uh, it's a tough call. Uh, I'm not sure which way to lean. I, I feel both ways. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, minor leaguers should have to earn their way through and up the ranks and, and you know, achieve uh, all those uh, – you know, minor conveniences along the way. Uh, that's an accumulative thing. So, I uh, know they shouldn't be given that, those luxuries right away. Uh, but but still, uh, to do it and then to ban people from it, uh, my, you know, I have an issue, <laughs> you know, for the cost. I, I find that to be a misappropriation of funds. If you know what I mean, uh, that's money that could have been spent elsewhere. Uh, Fifty-seven million dollars. Uh, how much? Fifty-seven million, somewhere in that neighborhood. I believe it was. Right. I believe it was fifty-seven million dollars, and I, I'm not sure how uh, it was paid for. Uh, I mean, there's you can modernize things and upgrade things and renovate things. Uh, I'm not going to say that that went too far, but I, I, I just don't know. I'm confused about it. I'm befuddled, and I think you can hear it. Uh, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. I'm not quite sure what it accomplished. It's nuanced. And, and it's nuanced. Say again? I said it's nuanced. Uh, yeah, I guess. You know, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not so sure. Uh well, let, let's, let's, let's go this direction. Um, here are some of the personnel that are that are going to be uh, enjoying the benefits of that 57. <clears throat> excuse me. I can't even say it because <laughs> it wasn't spent on players. But that $57 million renovation. Um, Pete Alonzo, Rich, he's showing up in a, I believe it was a Ford truck, and I, I thought it was interesting video that, um, you know, Ford would want to jump on possibly. And, and, and here's the thing that I want to talk about with Pete Alonzo. And uh, I'll tie this all in together. <clears throat> he, you know, last year he was gunning for a job. He made history. And now he's showing up like a bowler in, you know, just this kind of modest domestic pickup truck that gets it done. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, talking about getting drunk as hell on a float, you know, hopefully you can pair with like an American bourbon or something like that in terms of uh, marketing, you know, but I'm thinking big here because, and I didn't even see this with David Wright. Um, you know, for, there was a, for a long time and all, all the 
made, you know, the, the, the national stuff, when, when all the different players, hey, baseball's back, look what we got. You didn't see a Mets. And there were times where I was like, yo, David Wright's right there, guys. Use David Wright. I know the Mets suck and aren't nationally marketable, but use David Wright. Now you are seeing Pete Alonso nationally marketed that, you know, not only, you know, they had a winning season in his rookie year. And now he's talking about, and I think, you know, obviously you always want to hear that. You do hear that out of spring training a lot. But I think what's lovely about Pete Alonso was that he was unique with saying what he wants at the end of this season. Um, and I thought you, you saw it. One of the reasons why they won 86 games is because P. Alonzo was there from the beginning to the end. We can criticize Brody all we want, but he is the one who made the decision to bring Pete Alonzo up, and that was a good decision. That should be something that he gets applauded for when people talk about J.D. Davis being the only good thing that he's done. Um, he recognized not only the uh, uh, baseball element of it, but also the marketing element of it. And um, I forget exactly who I was. I think I'm going to Rich here, but Pete Alonzo, um, we got somebody that the national scene cannot ignore. That's true. I mean, you know, the Mets have the um, rookie of the year. They have the guy all-time rookie record in home runs. And um, how he is, he's national news now. I mean, he's been on the, all the TV shows, on late-night TV shows, and all of that. So, you know, the Mets have some cachet value now. You know, you've got Jacob DeGrom back-to-back Cy Youngs. And, you know, people are asking him, you know, you're going to go for three in a row and all of that. You've got Pete Alonzo. You know, you've got an emerging Jeff McNeil. You know the Mets are. Um, they have. They're not, not. They're no longer nondescript. You know they, they are getting some national attention. Some of it, as you started this podcast with earlier, you know, isn't for the best of reasons. Old Beltron thing and having to get a new manager and all of that. But um, but at the same time, you know the Mets are the Mets are on the map now. And well, everything you just said. They won 86 games last year. If the uh, the proposed. Uh, wacky playoff idea by the commissioner were to were to ever come true. The Mets would have made the playoffs last year. They would have been the sixth team um, of the seven. And um, and so, you know, the, the Mets are they're, they're making noise. They've got some individuals or they've got a good team. And, um, and yeah, it's great. I mean, it, it's nice to see that not all the attention's over in Tampa. You know, there's some, there's some attention in Port St. Lucie. I forget where Excuse me. I forget where um, the Yankees used to be, but the Mets used to be in Tampa. Is that right, Mike? Uh, the Mets used to be in St. Petersburg, if I'm not mistaken. The Yankees have been in Tampa okay. for a long time. And way, way back, the Yankees were in Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. So correct, it used correct. to, for a hot second, guys, it was the Mets in St. Petersburg and the Yankees in Tampa? No. Tampa and Fort Lauderdale, as Rich says, Fort Lauderdale way back, and then they moved to Tampa afterwards. If I remember correctly, the Mets were in Al Lang Stadium in St. Petersburg. Is that right, Rich? Right. That is right. And um, they basically flopped coasts. So uh, right. that's a good yeah. question, Ray. 
I don't know if there was any overlap where the Yankees were in Tampa while the Mets were in St. Pete. I don't re- I don't remember if that happened. But the Yankees should be on the East Coast, Mets on the West. Now the Mets are on the East, Yankees are on the West. And whether or not there was an overlap there, I don't remember. It's a good question. Yeah, not quite sure. It, it's it's just the overlap would have been some fun March faux borough rivalry. <laughs> You know, or whatever, whatever Tampa St. Pete is. What, what, what are they? They're two different cities, correct? It's just a metro yeah, area. Yeah, they're, about, they're at least twenty miles away from each other, I think. Okay, so, um, Mike, Pete. Well, I, I say Lundell. that because recently I heard somebody say that Rays or uh, Tropicana Field is thirty miles from Tampa. That's why I say. Okay, that. but it's Tampa. But they're the technically the Tampa Bay. So, so yeah, twin twin cities, Tampa St. <laughs> we're about to we're about to get into so when Tampa Bay region is what it it is referring to when they they are as as a name, they are the Tampa Bay region Devil Rays Rays. Is that right? <laughs> they, or is, they play like, in St. Pete and I'm they call very Tampa. Confused now geog- geographically of the Tampa <laughs> area. Yeah, if I can weigh in here. Yeah. Tampa Tampa to St. Petersburg is they're connected by a very 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 long bridge. Um I've okay. been on business in Tampa and I went to to where the the Rays play which is in St. Pete and is in St. Pete. And it it's one of the longest bridges in the country and it is quite a hike. So it, it's it's about a 30 minute ride from Tampa to where the Rays play. So everything we're saying is accurate. Okay. So Tampa Bay is the actual bay, and that's like the Tampa the the Tampa area team that plays in St. Pete decided to put Tampa Bay in just from a marketing perspective because Tampa is more identifiable than St. Pete. Yeah, <laughs> okay, great, great. Glad we're glad we got rid of that, Mister Mike Lacolant, Mister Pete Alonzo. Go ahead. Uh, what's what's the the guy's effervescent? You know, he he's fresh, he's raw, seems to have no filter. You know, he's not a foul mouth, which I think serves him well. But you know, he he's a fun guy, and, and he comes across very well. His most recent comments about being a uh, wanting to be on the parade float, drunk as hell. You know, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, what he did last year at, at the plate backs up his words and his actions and his behavior, not to say that he's ever been, you know, out of line or has gone over the top. Uh, He's a a good dude. He's a good dude, and he has a lot of respect for the game. And, you know, uh, nothing to date has, uh, to my knowledge, you know, uh, struck anyone as offensive or anything of, of the kind. So, you know, rock on. You know, and as we said, or and Rich said, you know, the Mets, we got we got things, we got stuff, we got a Cy Young Award winner, <laughs> we got a Rookie of the Year, you know, and, and you know, we got stuff, so it, it, we're in a good spot. And, and I want to go in a in that direction in a second, um, and, and how it, you know, how it relates to the Wilfons. But uh, Mike, it's interesting, you know, you're, you're talking about how wholesome he is. 
Um, but, but, you know, he says he wants to be drunk as hell, and, and uh, you know, that's, I think, um, understandable. Uh, <laughs> and, and the way he says it is very, very, um, you know that he can, number one, handle it, and number two, uh, it's just, it's, it's relatable as well as, as uh, uh, endearing. Um, but, but, you know, he also came up with LFGM. So he's done, like, you know, you said he's not, he, he doesn't uh, use foul language, but he, he knows how to still, like, like, like the, he's the 2020, you know, he, he's saying effing, he's saying, <laughs> he's, he's saying drunk as hell and not, you know, other things. <laughs> You know what? He's talk- he thinks he's talking to the adults in the room, and, and for those of us with There's children, it's up to us as parents we're to all you know smooth all that out. So I, I think it's very easy. Yeah, Rich. You know, he he's a great balance. Mike brings up a a, a great point about all of this. You know, he's he's just the 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 type of star you want, and he, he it comes to him naturally. It seems. It, well, it does. You know, he's got the charisma to handle it, and um, he's very, you know, he's very, if this is the word, unintimidated, you know, by the whole thing, and he, he, he maintains a good demeanor. He's got a good sense of humor. He's at his locker no matter what happened. You know, he's always the guy that, that he, for rookies, he's handling all the, all the quotes, and he, he's always available. So, um, you know, it's one thing to have talent, and a lot of guys do, and, and you know, other people have won the Rookie of the Year. People win it every year, but... Alonzo combines that, um, you know, sort of a stage presence with the production on the field. And he's a gem, and the Mets have him, and that's great. You know, we should really be thankful about that because I, I agree with everything you're saying. They haven't had a Pete Alonzo-type guy since David Wright. And what I mean by that, you know, somebody who came through the organization, somebody who handles the media well, somebody who the, who, to whom the fans magnate, um, you know all of that stuff. He he's that guy. He's the real deal on every on every level. You know, homegrown met with all those other things added to it. So um, and then Degrom is is right behind him. You know, Jacob Degrom in a in a very um, he's not quite as outspoken as Alonzo, but homegrown met fans relate to him. Um, you know, solid, incredibly off the chart charts numbers on the field. So. You know, as Mets fans, we have, like Mike said, we have some stuff. We have some things to make us happy and proud, and that's great. We have some other things that, you know, make us not so happy and proud that we'll probably touch on as we go along. But, but yeah, we, we have some stuff, and that's good. Mm-hmm. So um, I, 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 there were so many different places I wanted to go, but uh, I lost it, and I'm going to go exactly where you just mentioned, Rich. That's the thing. We know, like, like Jeff, you have done some good things. We're talking about them right now as we speak. But the things that you've done poorly outweigh all of that and, and keep us on a level that we, we, we know that we, we don't – I don't want to say don't deserve – but the way we've committed ourselves, the way that we are met fans, and 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 what you have done good can become great if there was just a little different way you went about it. 
and I hope this soundbite somehow gets to him at some point, but if I'm sure somebody said something to him at some point, so how could I get through to him? But that's the thing. We've got some great stuff. The Mets have always had some great stuff, but we're the butt of jokes across the nation, whether it's Johnny Carson or or Jimmy Fallon or any late-night guy you want to name. At some point, David Letterman was really making the most Mets jokes, let's, let's not, and he's also arguably the best that's ever done the job. But, you know, like, it, it, there's, it, it was ironic when the 1996 Mets came out to – to do a top ten, it was very ironic because they and and they and that was one of the better moments of the Mets owning who they were, who they are. The only way they could ever really grow, and that the Wilpons have completely ignored, is build a Marv Throneberry statue. Understand your 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 past. It's the only way to grow from it. So, we're bringing the Wilpons up now, Mike. We have well, stuff. Yeah, we got stuff for it. And, and you know me, I love to put on my Bermuda shorts and jump into that pool at any any chance. Uh, you brought up David Letterman. You know, I'd like to remind people of a guy named Jerry Gerard, who was the sports guy on Channel 11 WPIX here in New York City back in the 70s. And to this day, I don't think uh, anybody's ever, you know, pounded on the Mets more. Uh, than he did back then. Uh, he was ruthless. Rich, remember him? I do. I really do. He, and he was ruthless. <laughs> he was ruthless. I mean, he was enjoyable to listen to, but boy, was he ruthless. Anyway, Rich, uh, Sam, you, you're right. Here we are. You know, Will Pons remained topical for all the wrong reasons. But I, oh, there's sometimes when we fans just need to compartmentalize. Uh, sure, there's tons of things to, you know, go off on a tangent there. We the broke down negotiations and how they how they're presently going. Uh, but the fact of the matter is heading into year two under BBW and this new regime, uh, the team is better than it was in twenty eighteen. Uh, and Last year was obviously an improvement, and here we are heading into the 2020 season, and we think, we think, we just might be slightly more improved than last year's outfit. Uh, So there's that to look forward to. You know, I'm looking at the depth chart right now, and, uh, you know, there's enough names sprinkled around both the infield and the outfield, the starting rotation and the bullpen to make me think that this is going to be just something more than an interesting season. So, you know, Sam, cross your fingers and hope that this sale of the New York Mets ultimately and finally goes through and that we wind up in, in, in capable hands. You know, perhaps you want to throw out A-Rod being a candidate all of a sudden or potentially being a candidate uh, you know, but I, I would say, look, here we are. Uh, it's still February. You know, we have a full camp ahead of us. 
it's okay to compartmentalize and just sometimes deal with the players we have at hand and just, you know, assess the condition outside uh, of, uh, of the greater dilemma that is Wilpon ownership. Rich, I want you to go from my rant and then finish with A-Rod, please. <laughs> well, you know, how they're handling it. Well, there, there are so many different ways to go. Here, here's my, my angle on it. It's unfortunate that at a time when the Mets finally have their stuff, like we've been talking about, they have, play, they have a good season under their belt. They're gearing up for – they should be able to build upon that season and take it to the next level. By all intents and purposes, it certainly looks like that should happen. They've got individual players who are marquee names. They're winning awards. They're personable. They've got all this stuff. But what's going on? What are people talking about? And here's the other point, Sam. People are talking about the Wilpons and how, look, do they have to sell? I'm thinking they do. I know this whole thing about if you lose $50 million or more three years in a row, you're required by baseball rules to sell, and the word is that they're in that situation. So they have somebody who's an 8% owner who wants to buy the rest of the team, and it's going to go, and he's going to be the, one of the you know, richest men in the world owning the Mets, and how great is that? And it falls apart. And why does it fall apart? Well, was it the Wilpons wanting control? Other people say that the Wilpons did it right and that Steve Cohen, you know, put some conditions on the table at the last minute and, and uh, that he was the one negotiating bad faith. But anyway, regardless, the Wilpon crap is front and center, and all this nice stuff we have that we've been talking about, unfortunately, isn't. And now we're in a situation where, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep going with the idea that they have to sell by rule, and I do believe that's true from what I've heard. And now who's going to buy them? It's a freaking auction. It's a bidding war. It's like it's over their first sale. It's like, you know, you have a, a realtor with a, with a thing in your front lawn. You know, the Mets are for sale. People are coming by and they're sniffing in the pantries in the bathrooms, see if they want to buy the Mets. And, and it's unfortunate, like, right? Because it shouldn't, that shouldn't be the story. The story should be 86 wins build upon it, all these nice, nice pieces we have. No, that's not the story. The story is teams for sale, the owners are crap, owners losing money. All this stuff, that's the story. And that's unfortunate. And I'll use that cliche. This is why we can't have nice things, right? Because when you do have nice things, it, it, they're overshadowed. Now, the whole A-Rod thing. Please, A-Rod, be a part of the buying group. And I'll tell you why. Have a baseball man be a part of the, of the ownership of the team. I don't give a crap about yeah. his steroids in the past. I don't. I, you know what? That's history. I don't care. I, if other people care, fine. If you want to thump the rules or whatever, fine. That's your business. I want somebody who has a baseball background, baseball credibility in the ownership group who thinks like a baseball person, who can guide decisions and spending in the appropriate ways because of the knowledge of a baseball person. Um, so if he wants to be part of a buying group, uh, sign me up. And my final point is, whether it's A-Rod or not, get this crap over with. Find somebody to buy the team, and let's focus on baseball. That's my take. Mike, with A-Rod, you know, obviously it could go so poorly. But at the same time, I would see him, like, you know, flirting out of him in a Mets jersey. He's been wanting this his entire life. He's been wanting to be in a Mets jersey, and he made some poor decisions 
that led to him not being in one. Uh, you could see the the press conference with J Lo trying a Mets jersey on. You know, she's from the Bronx. That would be a big sell. Um, like, you know, obviously it could go poorly. He could not run the team. But right now, he is definitely attempting and doing a pretty solid job at it of changing the public perception. He's gotten either a great PR team, maybe probably J-Lo's, and, and you know, he he's sold me. But, like, it's always been a sell to me that he's been a Mets fan and has, has idled, has, has looked up to Keith Hernandez and, um, you know, that it was really just – his hubris as well as Scott Boris combining that, that didn't lead to him being a part of this, but, but he always seemed to regret it. I've heard of him telling me, uh, I'm sorry. Some, I heard somebody tell me that they were at the Super Bowl and that they saw a rod on uh, the, the, the escalator. Yeah, that's right. The escalator. And they were like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I, want to say something but uh, you know I'm, I'm a Mets fan and he was like oh so am I <laughs> and so there is this thing that he's always been kind of wanting to put that Mets jersey on because he bumped his head when he was god I forget how old he was but it was 1986 and, and he was watching live the, the game six and he bumped his head on the bunk bed or something like that um I, I, I'm kind of sold on it. What do you think, Mike? I think a lot of things, you know, he's elevated himself to the status of celebrity. Uh, so if he were to come to the Mets in any kind of capacity, uh, you know, that whole baseball pass, I don't think is really going to rear its ugly head much. Uh, will it? Yes, but not much. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> thanks to his PR team, as you say, uh, this is the new and improved A-Rod. And he's having the time of his life. What I will say about the man is I do believe he's a baseball genius. I think he knows this game uh, unlike many, many others on this planet. Uh, I do believe his baseball acumen is is superior. I really, really do. Uh, But as Rich says, he's likely to be part of a, uh, you know, greater ownership group. If this is all, you know, true, and and I guess we're going to find these things out in in the days and weeks ahead, uh, he would probably take on a role somewhat similar to Derek Jeter, who, you know, owns a very small percentage of the Marlins, but yet is the front man. And I suspect, you know, A-Rod would be in that same capacity here, uh, maybe putting up more money than perhaps Jeter did and becoming a a, a greater fractional owner in, in that in that sense. Uh, but I, I do believe the majority of the principle must come from somewhere else uh, or will come from somewhere else. But he will be the front man to this. And, you know, I expect him to be very businesslike about it uh, in his new and improved persona. And like I said, I, I don't think his his baseball pass will be much of an issue uh, moving forward. He's already proven that. Uh, 
Uh, I, very few people had a better time at the Super Bowl than I think they, a, a Rod. <laughs> if you followed his Instagram and all that stuff, uh, but you know, I'll just reiterate. I think the guy's a baseball genius. The media circus? I don't know. I don't know. I, I for, for for some reason because we're so used to him being in the in the in the limelight and the spotlight. Uh, I think that just may turn out being a non-issue. Sure, uh, the story initially will be huge. Hey, a Rod buys Mets, blah blah blah. But I think that will all die down, and he'll eventually just be treated like a another mogul and another owner. Uh, that's my take. Rich, think about this. He can't get in as a player. Because they just can't get past the steroids part. But he didn't take steroids as an owner. And he brings the Mets to the <laughs> <Penguin> World Championships. <laughs> but how, how, how theatrical will that be? Jeter is, you know, the face of the Marlins. He's always on TV. You know, you know the whole thing we're rebuilding, blah, blah, blah. Jeter's the face of it. A-Rod becomes the face of the Mets as the one of the owners – like he loved the Mets. You said it already. Since he was a kid, Hernandez was his idol. All of that, and he finally gets a chance after his playing days to be the biggest fish in the Mets pond. And he kind of trumps Jeter. I mean, because you know Jeter trumped him when he went to the Yankees. Let's face it. Jeter was the face of that franchise. He was the captain. Um, A-Rod had to change positions, you know, to, to, to be a Yankee and all of that. And I'm sure they were buddies. I'm not saying there was any animosity there or anything like that. How would we know? But there A-Rod is. finally – There is. There is. Well, he finally one-ups him, right? <laughs> Derek, you're, you're down there in exile in Miami where, you know, you, you can hear a pin drop in your ballpark all the time. I'm – my ownership is of the New York Mets, you know, the New York Mets, Derek, and you're down there in Miami, you know. So, um, so I just think it would be great for him. I think it'd be great for A Rod. I think it'd be great for the Mets because the Mets would embrace it. The whole J Lo thing. Could you imagine? Um, and could you imagine if uh, the going from the Wilpons and all the crap and how unpopular <laughs> to A Rod, who you know, oh, he loved, He's the greatest one of the greatest players of all time. He always loved the Mets. Now he's in the Mets organization. And and let's add to that with J Lo, one of the best entertainers of all time, being part of the Mets organization. Hey Yankees, suck on that for a while. You know what I mean? Let it happen. Come on. And and you know, A Rod loves good press. And um, and how great would it be if he were the face of the Mets culture changing? I mean, come on, how great would this thing be? Yeah, it's, yeah. and it's so great it's not going to happen. That that's how great it would be. No, I mean, I you know, because here's here's the thing though. A Rod dealt with Yankee fans, and he clearly knows about the Mets fans. I mean, like, like you know, we're the comedians. You know, you, you have some comedians, Bill Crystal, Billy Crystal, I guess, uh, what's his name? Uh, Aidan is her, uh, not Aidan, uh, that was, that's the sister on uh, Tony Soprano, on Sopranos. Um, what's the other, not, not John Turturro, but his brother, who's a Yankee fan, who's a big time Yankee fan. You got me. 
Yeah, I can't. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. I, you know exactly. what I think about? I think, I, Michael, I think about. Sorry, Sam. I, I think about Matthew Broderick and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. She's a Yankee fan, and he's a Mets fan, and they went to the 2000 World Series together. Her in her Yankee jacket and him in his Mets jacket. So, I don't know. That, for some reason, I thought I would bring well, that up. And if you guys are anybody out there, comedians in cars getting coffee, one of the great episodes is uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Matthew Broderick going to City Field. Uh, everybody should watch that one if you are, are a Mets fan. Uh, and if you were listening to this, you were definitely a Mets fan. Uh, guys, we, we should move on to number 43, but before I do, Mike, I'll start with you. Do we have anything else to, to cover? Oh, uh, you know, where could we start and where would we end? So, perhaps... Ah, the, fuck, the, uh, the, the Zach Wheeler, Brody Van Wagen and stuff. Yeah, I mean... That was interesting. If anything, Jack Wheeler started it. You know, he's like, yeah, That's and the you way know what? Like, it, you were talking about, we're talking about the Wilpons here. And, like, uh, Rich, does Zach Wheeler have any right to shut up? Let me read a couple. I, ha- I was waiting for this. I've got a couple of quotes here, and I'll be quick. Um, Wheeler said, he said he wasn't – so the writer saying that he, the pitcher wasn't surprised by the way the Mets handled it, quote from Wheeler, because it's them. It's how they roll. Um, and then Van Wagenen comes back with, we were interested in bringing him back and communicated that, not at that level of contract. And so then Van Wagenen says after that, um, from top down, I feel this organization supported him in giving him the opportunity to reach major league success, Van Wagenen said. Our health and performance department, our coaches all contributed and helped him parlay two good half seasons, which is clearly a barb, over the last five years into $118 million. So I am proud of what our group was able to do to help him accomplish that. I am happy he was rewarded for it. And it goes on and on. But, but Wheeler, Wheeler's basically saying that's the way the Mets roll. They weren't, you know, I was too expensive for them, and I was going to go. And, and is he wrong? He's not wrong, right? There's too much of a history of that. Um, Van Wagenen is kind of full of shit, quite frankly, by saying, you know, first of all, it's a, if you're the GM, you're the vice president and GM, don't throw, don't throw veiled shots. Don't be a passive-aggressive with a guy and say we helped him parlay two good half seasons in five years. That's unprofessional. I don't like that it's, at all. It's agent. It's agent talk. I mean, like it, when, it, you're it think, when you're that. thinking about it, when you're thinking about it, like he was a, he used to be on the side that got people the contract that Zach Willard was able to get, and so he right. feels as if he he has the right to say shit like that. And he doesn't. You know, he, he <laughs> he's, it's unprofessional. When I read this exchange going on this week, I was like. It, it, Brody, you're embarrassing the organization. Just shut the hell up. If Wheeler says something about that's how they roll, they, Brody, the only thing you have to say is Zach got his money, and okay, great. That's it. End of story. Make it go away. Don't get into these veiled shots at him. Now he's going to fire back at you, and, and what are you doing? You're the face of the organization. Don't, it's like a parent getting involved in a child squabble. Just stay above it, will you please? It really aggravated me. Mike? I had no problem with it. <laughs> I really didn't. Uh, eye for an eye. Wheeler started it. 
BBW came back. Wasn't it more about the Wilpons, though, than BBW? Perhaps, uh, but maybe I'm just being a little giddy today, you know? Uh, normally, I think I would find myself agreeing 100% with Rich, but today, for some reason, I thought it was fair. Zach Wheeler started, BBW ended it. Hopefully, that's the end. I don't want to see this continuing on. Uh, but if it was just that for you know for what it was, uh, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. At least today I am, and perhaps I'm in a good mood. Perhaps that's why. You know, Rich, I think Zach Wheeler had a good relationship with Sandy Alderson, and I think that probably went away when he went away. Probably. I mean, it was you know Wheeler the whole thing with I don't want to be traded. You know, he thought he was going to go to Milwaukee. Um, and he clearly wanted to be a Met. And, and I think when you hear Wheeler's comments, there's some hurt in there. Um, yes, he's saying it's how they roll, but he clearly wanted to stay. And we all knew that the minute the Mets got Marcus Stroman, Stroman was an under-contract guy who was going to be Wheeler's replacement because they weren't going to chase Wheeler for that kind of money. Now, whether or not – I'd rather talk about this as a baseball decision, and, and I'm interested in both of your takes on this. $118 million over five years for a guy who, you know, we'll call it a good season and a half. I'm going to go a little more aggressive than Brody, a good season and a half. But injury history, okay. So you don't pursue him. You have Stroman lock, you know, locked up this year um, much, much more economically. Was that a good baseball move? Forget all the crap. Was that a good baseball move? I'm asking both of you guys. Mike, go ahead. I would have, and then I'll give you my I would have tried to I would have tried to negotiate him down from 118. I would, certainly would have broken 100 for him, Rich. I wanted to resign him. I wish he was a Met today. Uh, I would have probably bent over and given him the money. Uh, you know, Zach Wheeler said in spring training. You know, they're going to have to meet my price. I guess he was inflexible. I don't know what kind of negotiations they had, uh, but over five years, uh, I was willing to do that. Uh, I like him. I'm a fan of his. I think his better days are ahead of him. I think health is on his side, finally. And I would have been willing to break 100 over five years. I don't know how much more over 100, uh, but I would certainly try to talk him down from 118. Maybe 110, you know, a compromise. I I might have been willing to do that. Sam? I think you keep these, uh, I think you keep these, uh, these guys. That's That's it. I think you keep these guys. Somehow, some way, you figure out how to keep the camaraderie, the, the the marketability of the Mets have that rotation. And Zach Wheeler was a part of that rotation, was getting better. So he had uh, a less second-half year than the 2018 second half. Um, you know, I, I still think that you try to keep this, this core together. Um, I guess we should also, and I'll go to you first, Rich, on this, you know, what they replace him with. And I guess we don't exactly know yet what they replace him with. But uh, Rick Porcello, I think, will be the fifth starter. What is your I, – I, you know, I love the fact that he's pumped up to be a Met or so he says, and I, I don't think that's 
you know, from the PR, if we're talking about that whole PR thing, uh, should, you know, is that exactly PR or, you know, him being genuine? Probably the latter. Probably the latter there. Um, I think that uh, that's always a plus, and especially coming off of the Cy Young winner. But does that mean that uh, the best he's been is his rookie season and that Cy Young win? Or uh, does he have it in him to have the best as his childhood team? Rich. Rich. Well, I'm a bit concerned about Porcello. I mean, I, I, I love the fact I went to the Fan Fest and he was great to listen to. You, you could tell it's genuine. He's a Mets fan and he, he wanted to be here and, and he's super excited and all that's good. Um, but I'm looking right now at his statistics last year and I'm seeing a 5.52 ERA. And that doesn't make me feel good. You know, I know the year before Cy Young, that's great. You know, that's wonderful. Um, but, you know, he did not, he's coming off a bad year. So it's a bit of an unknown. He will be the fifth starter. And which version of Rick Porcello are we going to get? Well, we'll see. You know, I, I certainly hope that, uh, that the version that we're going to get is much closer to the 17 and 7 in 2018 than the uh, 14 and 12 with a 5.52 ERA. I mean, uh, you know, let, let's let's be honest. I mean, you know, it's um, a 2016 season, 22 and 4. I believe that was a Cy Young season, 22 and 4 with a 3.15. So um, I hope it's closer to that, you know, than than last year. And but you know, again, we just don't know. So here's here's the deal. Wheeler's spot is being taken by, to a degree, Stroman, you know, and to a degree, Porcello. And, um, and so you don't know about any of these guys. Wheeler could have gotten hurt on his, on his first start. You know, you just don't know. But I, I would say that based on what we've seen in 2018, 2019, Wheeler is probably a bit more of a known commodity than either Stroman or Porcello. So the Mets are rolling the dice a bit, and um, and that's what it comes down to. They have Waka in the bullpen to back up both of those guys, you know. So if anything should go wrong, they do have depth, which is great. You know, we're not going to be looking at the likes of, um, you know, Drew Gagno and Chris Flexen, thank God. You know, at least the first guy up, the first man up out of the out of the bullpen to take a take a spot start will be Michael Waka, who you know, albeit not a good year last year. Um, certainly major league credibility. So what they did was they took a, a fairly known quantity minus the injury potential, took a fairly known quantity, they replaced them with two somewhat unknown quantities, somewhat, and some depth. That's where we are. Mike, waka, waka, waka? Waka, waka, waka. Uh, you know, one of those let's catch lightning in a bottle type of things. Uh, what more can you say? He was available, and you know what I always say, people are available for reasons. So, you know, there's a competition to be had for the back of the rotation. He'll 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 certainly vie for it, but uh, what the results are going to be, let's, let's see. Uh, like I said, I would have preferred to stick with Wheeler, and I think that says a lot. Uh, Waka, you know, uh, 
never really distinguished himself. His name was pretty topical during the playoffs a couple of years ago. But outside of that, it's not that much to really speak of. Uh, not impressive, uh, not bad, but, you know, what does that mean? He's mediocre. So, you know, Rick Porcello is going to be the one, if anyone, that's perhaps going to need to step up. He's the more uh, known of the two the known quantity of the two and uh, perhaps has more expectations than Waka. But again, I hope he proves me wrong because I don't think he's going to have as strong of a season with the Mets than he did perhaps with Boston. Uh, He's always been very hittable. He's not overpowering. And uh, I don't think that's going to play out very well here in the National League. So let's see what happens. You know, uh, the fact that I want I, I wanted to retain Wheeler for these very reasons. I didn't think uh, any replacement was going to be as good or better than Wheeler. And here we are. Rich, is there anything else we need to talk about regarding 2020? Um, I'll throw this out just for, just for giggles. You know, this won't take long. Um, Rob Manfred's proposed playoff thing, you know, going to seven teams where the, the team that with the best record gets to pick in a national TV show on Sunday night, the Sunday that the season ends, you get to pick the team you want to play. The first two teams have buys or whatever the hell. Um, so you, you know, you kind of like the, um, kind of like the, uh, NFL where the wild card teams would actually host. And, and I think it would be a best of three in the first round. Right. But the teams with the worst records would not, host any home games so it would be like um you'd have the first two teams to get buys the next two wild card teams i believe would be the home teams or something like that and they would get the uh so the worst the, the division winner with the worst record and the next two wild card teams would do the home games have the home games and then it would be a three game series in the first round with the other teams that qualify playing in the cities and then the teams would pick their opponents. What do you guys think of that? Go. Somebody. I still don't know what to think of it. I I, I still don't know what to think of it. Every time anybody uh, throws anything out there, I'm like, what? Uh, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. What? Exactly. Even suggesting a buy in baseball playoffs, that's a fireball. Yeah, so that's a fireball. Are you aware? I mean, is if you're not aware of it, let me try to recap what he was doing. So what he what he was saying is there would be seven teams that would make the playoffs in each league, right? So you have your three division winners and four more teams, um, and somehow there would be a bye, so that the two best records would have a bye, um, and then you'd have but the math doesn't work. Maybe it's three buys. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was three teams get buys. And then you have wild card playoffs. And then uh, Trevor Bauer shot back at him, and he said, so you basically would punish the teams that win the divisions by giving them a full week off, and they're you know completely off their game for a week while other team, these other teams play a best of three. Um, but I think what he's going for is he wants to have all these elimination games. He wants to have the national spectacle where you pick the team you want to play on TV. 
But then basically, if you're in a best of three, you could do it because you're not traveling. You could do it in three consecutive days. And games two and three would always be elimination games. And I guess, obviously, TV ratings are the highest for those. So you'd have a whole bunch of elimination games. And um, and more teams like the playoffs, so you know more cities are interested down the stretch. But this whole thing about you get to pick the, the, the teams with the best records, get to pick their opponents, and uh, then they get a week off, and it's just, it's just insane stuff. And I don't want to be like, you know, like a stodgy old man who doesn't want things to change for the better. I just don't see this as a change for the better. I think it's terrible. I think there uh, might be something in there, uh, possibly. Possibly. Like you said, like, this isn't a change for the better, what you're talking about it being. But maybe there is a bat like if, if this is what you have to do to get more people invested, um, well, combining with what we were talking about regarding, uh, you know, changing the schedule and making the entire season shorter, you know, maybe that would be the incentive to making sure that people are more invested in every baseball game. Mike, go ahead. I think the answer is already in place, just not here. Uh, it, look, extending or expanding the playoffs is probably probably inevitable. Expansion is probably around the corner, whether they're speaking about it or not. Uh, so I think the simple solution is you have the three division winners. I don't care how many wild card teams you want to include. Let them play a round, a round robin format, and the winner takes on one of the division winners. I think it's simple. A four-day round robin will decide everything. And, yes, that would entail one-game elimination. You can have either three wild cards or four wild card teams. A four-day tournament, done. Day five, the playoffs start. So you don't have to go a full seven days uh, in between uh, series for the division winners. And, uh, you know, I think that's the only way to have your cake and eat it, too. Rich, you're talking about basically like an all-star break. That might make more sense. Yeah, you know, I, I the point that he's trying to get across, I think, is like I said earlier, more teams involved down the stretch, interest goes up, attendance goes up. Okay. Playoff expansion seems to be the only way to do that. Um, and, yeah, how great would it have been? Here we are Mets fans, right? How great would it have been if the 86-win season last year turned into a playoff berth? Because, again, in a seven-team format, the Mets would have been seed number six, and Arizona would have been seed number seven last year. So imagine how exciting. Remember those games Mets played against the Marlins last week of the season? They had uh, the Marlins in for three, then they had or for four, and they split those four. Then they had the Braves in for three. Could you imagine how much excitement there would have been for those for those games against the Marlins and Braves. Now, granted, there was the individual thing that Pete was going for the record, and there was some some excitement there. But that building would have been rocking because it would have been for the playoffs, right? So, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, I also think that there's some viability to having, you know, shorter rounds. In the a lot of people are against. A lot of the players are against the one game elimination, the wild card. I, I was surprised to see that. But a lot of players feel, you know, do the whole angle of it's a long season, you can't decide it in one game. So maybe there's something to that. But this idea of, you know, that the team, I think it was the team with the best record gets the bye, then the other six play. Um, 
and um, the other two division winners in the wild card team with the best record, they're the hosts. The other three teams play the, you know, the three games in the other ballpark. And then when that round is done, then the team that had the best, the best division winning record goes on TV, you know, their GM or whatever, and says, okay, we will pick that team. We'll play them. No! And then everything... <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's crazy, right? That's the part I don't like. That's the part that, no, like, okay, so you take done... that part out. That Take that part out. You might be able to sell, you might be able to sell me on change because I'm a 35-year-old uh, I... man. Well, and I'm older than that, but, I mean, I, you know, I, you could sell me, too. Take that bullshit about trying to do reality TV. That's what people are calling it, reality TV. You take reality TV out of it, and maybe you have something. But then again, listen to Trevor Bauer. You know, these guys know better than we do. Trevor Bauer is saying you're punishing the team that's not playing because you give them a week off. Look at the Mets, 2015. They, they swept. They had all that downtime. They lost the World Series. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, every team in the in the past 50 years that swept the league championship series or since there's been league championship series play has lost the World Series. I believe that is true. And a lot of people point to the fact that you just you get rusty. You know, you take that week off and you get out of your rhythm. Daniel Murphy did not have the record anymore. Well, so I guess he still owns the record, but you know he did not continue the record, excuse me, because he had a miserable World Series. Um, so it's a great point to that, uh, and that's where the compromise that that Mike's talking about does sound right. It all sounds right um, until you see it play out, and and the one game wild card seemed right. Until the very first game, <laughs> you guys remember that <laughs> that debacle, and and it's still and you know that's where I was always like you know if you're gonna have this wild card best out of three, it makes perfect sense and you get more well, revenue. And, that's and, and why this a round robin like, works because you have a losers bracket. You can afford to lose one game. Exactly. Exactly. So. I uh, have we exhausted 2020? I think so. Going once, going twice. Number 43 is our official episode. We're we're we've had many specials. We're we're up to like 73 full episodes, but we're on number 43 from a uniform number perspective, from our official episode numbers where we're not just focused on one specific thing, a special, a New Year's special, if you will. Um, So today we're on number 43, and it invokes many, many names. Um, And let's see where we're at. Obviously, R.A. Dickey is probably the first name that comes to mind, but guys, I want to start with you, Rich. When you look at this list, I mean, and it's long. We're we're talking 37 names here. Um, some names definitely pop out, but I think R.A. Dickey takes this. There's nothing. I see in uh, 86, John Mitchell, he gets a ring, but he had it in September. 
Um, and let's see if there's a there's there is yes, Jim McAndrew of course is a, a 1969 uh, ring bearer. So, Rich, we'll start with you. Where, where, you know, where do you go with this list? Well, I'm going to make some quick hit comments on a couple of guys. So, Jim McAndrew, Mike, you might remember him. Um, he always had that overemphasized sigh. Like, he would come set and really blow out this enormous breath. And my father and I would sit there watching the games and laugh because it was so over-exaggerated. So, anyway, Jim McAndrew, yeah, 69 Mets. I never – I mean, I was a little, little kid when he was a Met. Um, so, you know, into the early 70s. I, Mike, I don't know if you recall him, but – I recall him being quite average. Like he was not the he was not one of the better starters they had. So so that's my memory of Jim McAndrew is actually that over exaggerated side that would make my father and I laugh. So okay, so moving on. Um so as I look at this list, you know, I'm gonna Mike Remlinger. I wanna talk about Mike Remlinger because we all know what he's famous for. He's famous for the nineteen ninety five strike shortened season, first game, late April, Mets are in Colorado. Um, and they're breaking in, you know, the, the new ballpark, and it's the game goes back and forth. Todd Hundley, it's a grand slam. The you know, Rockies are ahead. Mets, Mets catch up. Mets take the lead. Mets take the lead in extra innings. Game goes on to like 1:30 in the morning our time, and what happens? Mets go into the bottom of the whatever inning it was, I think bottom like 13th, 14th inning with the lead, and Mike Remlinger's in there, and he gives it up to Dante Bichette. Um, so Mike Remlinger, you know, for a bad reason, remember him. Um, and I'll make one more comment here. Paul Bird, I always liked. 1995 met. I ended up with the Phillies after a while, but I always liked Paul Bird. Um, and I'll close my comments with um, with Addison Reed. Addison Reed was a great pickup by Sandy Alderson, um, and and that's another reason why why I want to get this ownership thing sorted out. Because what are they going to do? Are they going to add pieces in late late August like they should? Anyway, that's we already talked about that. Um, Addison Reed was a great pickup. He was a great setup man, the Familia, um, and it was unfortunate when they dealt him in seventeen. But the time had come. You know, they weren't going anywhere, so that they uh, they had to move him. But I always liked Addison Reed as well. And I believe that's everybody I want to comment on here. Um, you know, John Mitchell. Um, you know, very average pitcher and those mid-80s teams. Yeah, that's it. I'll leave it at that. You know, Mike, it's interesting because you have two men here that are not known in Mets uniforms, but Billy Bean and John Gibbons both wore number 43 as Mets. How? How about that? You know, Billy Bean, how could you not laugh every time you see his name mentioned in Met Annals? Uh, the future genius that everyone thinks he's is, that he is. Uh, Jim McAndrew. Rich, I actually, I only remember him as a San Diego Padre in his last season. Uh, but I will tell you that, you know, he was a very underrated pitcher for the 69 Mets. More of a hard luck pitcher, but he had some very, very nice shining moments for that. 69 championship team. Him and Don Cardwell, very hard luck, hard luck pitchers that season. You know, they put in a lot of good work, and uh, sometimes the other opposition just, you know, pounded on them and, and, and kind of threw all their numbers askew. Uh, true story, Paul Siebert. This is right after, uh, what was it, Rich, Black Saturday when they traded Siebert and Kingman? Black Friday or Black Saturday? 
What was that? It was, you know, it was the middle of the week. I, I, I um, but yeah, I know what you mean. It was a, it, it was right. Seabird came over right. in the in the Kingman trade. Yeah, right. Anyway, it was after the trade, and the Mets were in Philadelphia, uh, at the old vet, and I had only, you know, just barely heard, and, and I heard Seaver warming up in the Mets bullpen. I was like, wait a second, what? And it turned out to be Seabird. And true story, I don't know why that sticks out, but it always does. And uh, I was mistaken there for a, for a, a moment in my childhood. And, oh, man, it just killed me. Siebert, Siebert, Siebert. I will never forget that name. Uh, Sam, as we mentioned, Billy Bean. Uh, you know, a couple of guys who I, I know better their careers from other teams, like Kevin Brown and Dan Schatzer with the Expos. Uh, let me see. Todd Pratt, how can we forget him? He had a nice day in the sun. Uh, Paul Bird, let me see. Uh, otherwise, you know, R.A. Dickey, Cy Young Award winner for the New York Mets. He'll never be forgotten. Uh, and uh, the current owner of the number, Luis Avilan. Hopefully he comes through in the bullpen for us and uh, adds to a very successful season. Take it away, Sam. John Hudak, you know what? I know him more as an independent league pitcher than I do as a member of the Mets and the Astros, I believe it was who he pitched for. Uh, but in the Atlantic League, you know, he pitched for the Long Island Ducks and the Somerset Patriots, and I followed the Ducks, and uh, Hudek was a very familiar name in the Atlantic League. Wow. I uh, I was going to say with uh, Louis Avalon that, yeah, he's still a part of this team, um, and, you know, people are talking about this bullpen potentially being amazing if they could get it together. So that's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds. All right, Dickie, what can you say? He's one of my favorite stories in Mets history. Um, You know, his book is amazing. Just hearing about how he came through and finally nailed it with that knuckleball. And, and he was, I mean, guys, let's, let's really, I think we're all uh, in agreement that, R.A. Dickey is the most important number 43 here, weirdly enough. And uh, um, uh, aside from, obviously, world champions, uh, R.A. Dickey seemed to really capture this fan base in, uh, in, in a really important way, um, in, in many different ways, especially during some losing seasons. And he, he, he has a very important story about perseverance. Um, uh, Rich, if if I can start with you, what you remember about R.A. Dickey? Rich, you there? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say my name? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, can you repeat the question? I I, I caught me by no, caught me off okay. guard. I was I was like, what what, is, what do you remember about R.A. Dickey? Oh, Ari Dickey, the Cy Young season, um, of course, you know, 2012 turned out to be a, a pretty crappy year for the Mets, even though they started out well. But um, but R.A. Dickey, you know, was certainly something to root for. And to what your, your point, Sam, about the book, that book was so well done. The part about, you know, the, the abuse he took, you know, the unfortunate stuff that happened to him as a kid and um, and his whole journey about how, the doctor saw the picture when he was on the cover of Elite Sports Illustrated and saw the way his arm was hanging, that he was missing the ligament. And um, 
and how he took all that and uh and instead of you know basically crying about it or you know or giving up on himself he learned the knuckleball and uh and it really so yeah all, and, and he was a great personality i guess the one thing about Ari Dickey, i guess he wasn't as popular in the clubhouse as we thought he was you know there are a lot of people who you saw that little stuff start to come out you know after he was gone about how yeah you know he was very good with the press and he was very um eloquent and all of that but he was really very self-centered and you heard some of that which is kind of unfortunate but yeah, R.A. Dickey was a shining light in an otherwise dismal uh, 2012 season, and again, great book as well. Mike, the most unique knuckleball I believe I've ever seen. You know, and I remember Phil Negro, uh, his brother, uh, Tim Wakefield, and a bunch of others. Uh, Charlie Huff are a couple that come to mind. Uh, Ari Dickey's knuckleball was hard. He threw that with velocity, and that's what made it so, uh, I guess, effective in a Cy Young season. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm aware of those uh, rumors circulating around Ari Dickey in the clubhouse at the time. Uh, but you know what? People who preach accountability often get that kind of response from the masses. You know, uh, leaders, and especially, and especially during losing seasons, right? You know, so if he was urging somebody to look themselves in the mirror, you know, sometimes that doesn't come off well. But that's what leadership does. Uh, sometimes the best decisions are the most unpopular, and uh, you know, if he rubs and people I, the wrong can way, I, can I can I uh, attest to? Um, a moment that I had in 2012 coming off of a sweep of the Braves, uh, from the Braves, excuse me, not of the Braves, but from the Braves, a sweep from the Braves in September. Um, I went to a, a private event that the Mets bartended, uh, players bartended, and I ended up basically parlaying my night to uh, use a word of the evening um, into uh, clubbing with the Mets, and um, my my night uh, ended needing to go home in a cab, uh, being rather drunk, uh, more drunk than the Mets who got to stay out. But um, at the same time, R. A. Dickey, of course, was not there. Uh, Matt Harvey was there. Ike Davis was there. Uh, Justin Turner helped basically parlay this night for me, and. Um, that is probably what we're talking about here. Um, you know, they split Justin Turner and Ike Davis up. That was something that was, I think, talked about in the press at the time, too. And then Justin Turner parlayed that into the stardom. Uh, Ike Davis, obviously, uh, the rest is history. So, you know, you bring, that, that, that was just a very interesting point specifically about the way these things leak out, Mike, um, because R.A. Dickey, and, you know, in one of the things uh, Rich, he talked about in his book at the end was uh, uh, like at some point, it might have been like a daily journal that he was taking that he, he was upset that Carlos Beltran got traded because he thought they had a chance at the wild card. Yeah, he did put that in there, and um... – 
And again, he Dicky was someone who, from what I understand, and you know, talking to my ticket rep, he would go in in the off season. He would come in and he would um, make phone calls. Like the ticket reps would call people trying to you know hawk season tickets, and Dicky would volunteer. He wasn't asked to do it. He would volunteer to help them. He would get on the phone and talk to people and just basically say, you know, hey, you should you should think about coming out, you know, and uh, doing a season ticket plan. We're going to be good, you know, all this kind of stuff and. Um, and there are stories about him engaging with people and talking about literature and some of the stuff he was interested in. So he was kind of a renaissance man and, um, you know, did some things over and above, had a lot of interest over and above baseball. So, again, we weren't in the clubhouse, so what do we know? But I would say he was a, uh, he was, he was a good, he was a good presence on the team. And let's not forget, Sandy parlayed him into, use that word again, he parlayed him into Noah Syndergaard. So uh, it's not bad either. And you know what, Travis Darnot gave us a good amount, and um, unfortunately, you know, we were very vocal about him leaving. But props to him for having a a pretty solid uh, part of that wild card season for the Tampa Bay Rays last year. So just want to throw that out there, considering last spring, if you will. And and before we go to our last words, Mike, I'll start with you with this. Interesting, what a year can do, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting what a year can do, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm just being pragmatic about it. Yeah. You know, I won't add much more to that. <laughs> Rich. Well, if you if is the reference on this one to, to um Darno and how he did well with him. Yeah. Well, Darnell well, yeah. well in Tampa, and just I guess the broad stroke too is just you know what what a year can mean. Like like how how much it, it it's just so interesting how you, you know I almost forgot even, and we didn't even touch a, 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 a of course on Ioannis Cespedes and his potentia. Um, you know, like like I forgot that he even played in 2018. You know what I mean? Uh, and and I thought like 2017 was the last time he played, and 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 time is just strange that way. It it I, I there there's a line there's a line in um in LCD sound system song that I'll quote where it says you know life is short but it feels like forever. There you go. No, it is amazing what a year can do. And, and Darno is not the Braves, right? I believe he signed with the Braves. I believe you're right. Yeah, yeah, that that is correct. He is in the division. So think about that. Think about his, his journey. You know, he was a Met. I was at that game on that Saturday night in April where he was dreadful. Uh, I think it was three pass balls, and he also, you know, didn't do much to the plate. I think he actually had a hit in that game, but he also failed in a couple of other situations, and the fans were relentless with him. Um and he was released after the game. It was DFA'd after the game. Went to the Dodgers for a hot minute, right? I don't think he even played in the game for the Dodgers. And then, um, and then ended up with Tampa Bay. And he really, really did help them down the stretch to their wild card run, like you said. And now he's back in the division with the Braves. I suppose he's taking McCann's spot, who retired. Um, you know, to be, you know, to I think their catchers are Flowers and uh, I forget the other guy's name. So. Um, so he'll probably be competing for time as a second catcher. And 
Think about that. You know, here here he, he came over as a as a well, he wasn't a throw-in in the center guard deal because he was a highly touted prospect when he was with the Phillies. So he came over in the center guard deal, had a couple of decent seasons with the Mets, so he contributed in 2015. Um, and then we just talked about the rest of the history. So, yeah, think about where his life went from uh, February of last year till now. He was the hook in the yeah. R.A. Dickey trade. That was the main uh... – that was the main, he was uh, the main player in, in that yeah. deal. So, and then was And then there's also uh, William Pera. You know, we haven't even touched, the, uh, of course, on the state of the minor leagues with uh, the New York Mets going in, into here. And I, I think we'll we'll try to do something, uh, especially as these players start playing. We'll try to get somebody who's uh, an expert on the minor leagues on this podcast. But, you know, uh William Becerra, Mike, you, you you know the minor leagues better than anybody uh, in this tandem. Um, he was the other person thrown in here, and what's his status after all this time? Uh, you know what? Uh, at the time of the acquisition, he was in uh, very low levels uh, coming out of the rookie leagues in the Dominican. Uh, you know, and he started well uh, in, in low A, and uh, let's just say he's uh, – like water, it finds its equilibrium. You know what I mean? It finds its level. And uh, he's not distinguishing distinguishing himself as he was uh, as a younger player. And, uh, you know, he's uh, he's in the pack right now. So he still has time. He probably has about another year left to, uh, you know, uh, make a move, make some impact. Otherwise, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be exposed to the Rule 5 draft and he might become a minor league free agent and sign on somewhere else. But right now, you know, uh, great things are unexpected of him. Uh, but he came in as a hot prospect, a surprise hot prospect, uh, and uh, impressed for a little bit, but not so much lately. Too bad. Well, you know, two out, and I'll, I'll count Travis Darno. Two out of three ain't bad, even if uh, it sizzled a little bit. Um you guys, uh, anything else to touch on 43 before I move to the last word? Going I'm good. Going okay. twice. Sold. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to a Metsian podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike, and we're so thankful that you have been. Uh, Rich, I'll start with you. Um, what is your last word? My last word is games. Uh, games start on Saturday. Metro on TV Saturday and Sunday this weekend, and that's a big step. You know, it, it, Super Bowl is step one. You know, football's over. You turn the corner to baseball. XFL aside, um, and then the next one is pitchers and catchers report. You have your reporting date, and now you're actually gonna have some baseball on TV. So it's starting to get more real um, when, when it's in our living rooms on a you know fairly regular basis during the spring. That helps, and um, and so there's going to be baseball, fellas. There will be baseball games on in less than six days at this point. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.